Hi, everybody. John Moe here. Before we get started, I wanted to thank you for all your support of this program, uh, all the emails you've been writing in, all the messages that we've been getting through Twitter. It's all just amazing. And thank you if you have donated to the program. We try to bring a lot of different stories to this show, a lot of different experiences, people from all walks of life who have dealt with depression, with ClinyD. And your support makes that possible. And with your support, we can tell even more stories. We can keep going. We can really uh, try to see what all is out there and how many stories we can tell and what light we can shed on the subject of depression. To donate, please go to hilariousworld.org and click the donate button. It's super easy. It's tax deductible. And uh, you'll help us out a lot. Thanks. Is depression funny? It can be. I don't think it's any one thing. Guy goes in to see a doc, says there's something wrong with me. I've got a sadness I can't shake now. Is there something I can't take? It's the hilarious world of depression. I'm John Moe. We talk to funny people about depression. It helps. I think music is the closest thing to sorcery that we have in this world. I really believe that. It can knock you right in the mind, make you feel connected to something greater, and make you feel alive instead of just in existence. Music can feel like the opposite of depression in some ways. Like comedians, musicians articulate with words, with instrumentation, the things we didn't know other people felt. They observe, they tell stories, speak to who we are and what we go through. And like comedians, they're pretty funny a lot of the time. Our guest this time around is an actor who has appeared on comedy TV shows like Parks and Recreation and Portlandia, and he plays in a band also. I'm Jeff Tweedy from the rock band Wilco. And we are currently sitting in the loft studio and rehearsal space that we've had for, I don't know, 17 years or so. Jeff Tweedy is the leader, singer, and co-founder of Wilco. And Wilco is one of the most critically acclaimed bands of the last 20 plus years, thanks to albums like Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, A Ghost is Born, and the Mermaid Avenue series of collaborations with Billy Bragg. Their fans are often diehard fans who listen to their songs over and over so much that they've memorized all the words without even trying to memorize the words. I'm talking about me also. I'm one of those fans. This is from the song, I Am Trying to Break Your Heart. I am an American aquarium drinker, a assassin down the avenue. If an absolute hardcore music nerd led a virtuous life and then died and went to absolute hardcore music nerd heaven, it would look like the Wilco Loft in Chicago. Dozens, maybe hundreds of guitars, amps, drums, all sorts of instruments, some new, some vintage, all meticulously organized, just sitting there being beautiful. We'll get into all your deepest, darkest secrets and vulnerabilities, but I did want to ask, there's one back there, a guitar labeled JT The Monkeys. Have you played with the monkeys? No, it's actually a um, 
Monkeys branded Gretsch guitar from the 60s. Oh, nice. They sold, they sold Monkeys guitars uh, with the Monkeys logo on the pick guard and on the, the uh, truss rod cover. And they're hard to find with the Monkeys logo still on them because people would buy, they're pretty cool red guitars. Uh-huh. And I think people would buy them and be embarrassed to buy the monkeys and take the pick guards off and stuff. Oh, okay. but, but I have one with all of this stuff on it. If you'd <laughs> like to see it, I'm not embarrassed no. by the monkeys. Why would, why would Ooh, you be? Monkeys are better than the Beatles. As a, That's not true. But, <laughs> but, but I was growing up, there was a guy that used to say that all the time. That was down in southern Illinois, a place called Belleville. Sort of uh, an older industrial town. Not really a suburb of St. Louis, although it may be more so now that a lot of the industry has gone away. It was a brewery town and uh, stove manufacturing and railroads and chemical plants and stuff like that. Jeff was the youngest of four, and among other things, that meant hand-me-down records. I... uh, had two monumental halls in my life. One was inheriting my sister's um, 60s pop records, Beatles, Monkeys, Herman's Hermits, uh, 45s, Supremes, Motown, all of that when she went away to college. Mm-hmm. And then when my brother came home from college and was moving away from Belleville at that time, he gave me a uh, record crate full of uh, what was college music at the time, which was weird kraut rock and and progressive rock and and uh, you know stuff like Kraftwerk and Amandul and Aphrodite, all these like just really kind of obscure records. Music becomes a companion for Jeff at a very early age. Spoiler alert, that never stops. And music is a lot better company than other companions, like depression, anxiety, and migraines. I don't really remember when they started. I, my, I think right around six years old or something, I started getting pretty serious headaches where I would vomit until I was dehydrated and, you know, uh, uh, just kind of full-blown migraine experience. What did that, I mean, what did that do to you at that age? How did that affect kind of how you saw the world and your place in it? I don't really, I don't really know. I mean, I think my, my mother was a migraine sufferer. So, uh, in a lot of ways it maybe uh, subconsciously felt sort of normal to me to have that as a, as a, an affliction or some sort of uh, way of feeling a connection to my mother. You know, I don't know. When did depression start? Who knows? I mean, I, I didn't really identify it until much later, but I kind of recognized that the, the patterns of it were existent for a long time. Uh, like probably there was, there's a theory I have that, um, that I don't know if, if it's borne out by any kind of scientific research. But I think that the depression and anxiety has has some connection to the migraines for me or maybe just the stress of those uh, psychological mood disorders uh, would contribute to migraines. But 
in a, some ways, I think that migraines were a way of making psychic pain visible hmm. to uh, the people around me that weren't able to see that there was real psychic pain. You know, like, uh, I think that's a problem ev everyone that suffers from depression has is that it it doesn't look real and everybody gets sad and everybody has a certain amount of depression. So people that don't really experience it as a, a, uh, a disorder, um, tend to think, well, why can't you just not be sad? Right. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, I think that throwing up 30 times in a row and, and being obviously in an enormous pain could have had some sort of connection early on that I didn't make until later. So you felt like you you were your body was converting all this psychic pain into an actual something migraine. that would be nurtured. Yeah. As opposed to be uh being reacted to with um I'll give you something to cry about. Right. <laughs> um it sounds terrible but it you know like a lot that's yeah, that's what our generation that's learned. what we dealt with. Yeah. Jeff grew up with issues we could recognize today as mental illnesses that can be addressed and treated. At the time, he says, these were seen as character flaws. I, I would struggle very uh, at earliest ages. I can remember going to school being and having panic about my mom dying or just feeling like I, I couldn't stay at school. So I was a crybaby. I was a mama's boy. Uh, those were the explanations of it, that I was too close to my mother or, you know, that there was, uh, those were the, um, it wasn't taken seriously as some sort of disorder. It was, it was, it was shamed in a lot of ways. But those are my earliest memories of being in school and, and being inca incapacitated really with, with crying and uh, not being allowed to stay at school, uh, getting migraines so I could go home from school. Mm -hmm. You know, there's always, uh, there's always a question in my mind how much, uh, as, as real as I know migraines are, uh, I don't know if other migraine sufferers experience this, but they have gotten me out of a lot of things in my life. So I don't know if I'm able to conjure them subconsciously mm -hmm. for things. And I, and I, I really hope that I, I don't do that. I don't want to do that, but I, I don't doubt that there's some element that of that, that has existed in my life. I can't imagine there was a lot of treatment for uh, either the migraines or the the mental stuff that was going on when you were a kid you weren't you weren't taken to a therapist or anything there was never anything discussed uh, psychologically ever what was done for the migraines was uh, I was diagnosed with with a uh, with allergies allergies yeah I went and had one of the scratch tests when I was maybe eight or nine where they scratch your back and, and uh, introduce allergens to each scratch. And every one of them apparently had a reaction. So I don't know how how that, if that test is still used, it seems like everything would have a reaction if you scratch something and put some, <laughs> put some cat dander on it. I don't right, know. Right. Yeah. Uh, Let's tear your skin off and put something in there. So I was, but I was diagnosed as have, having an aller, uh, allergic reaction to everything. So including house dust, 
So uh, I was given shots twice a week for allergies. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was uh, made to put my teddy bear in a jar. What? Because I was allergic to house dust. Oh, God. (laughs) So I had a teddy bear in a jar. How long did your teddy bear have to stay in the jar? It's still in the jar, (laughs) sir. (laughs) Wow. Uh, Can we get Jeff a new teddy bear? Is that... We'll mail that out to you. I'll never... I'll never accept another teddy bear. Only Jari. Only only Timmy. Anything. Yeah. Jesus. Um, I'm not making this up. I didn't think you would be. I'm hurt that you're laughing. I... I, yeah. I thought this was a sensitive show. No, I, I know. This is, well, it's an easy mistake to make. We're with public radio, but we're a podcast, so we're completely insensitive. So you're completely irreverent. Uh, yeah. We, irreverent. we just laugh. Yeah. We're, we're very bold. Into it. It's like a morning zoo crew. Yeah. Jeff gets to high school, meets a guy named Jay Farrar, and they start playing music together. Later on, they would form the very successful band Uncle Tupelo before that band split into two bands. Jay Farrar starting a band called Sunvolt, and Jeff and the rest of Uncle Tupelo forming Wilco. Anyway, back to high school. Did music help once you started to play music? I'm, sh- I'm sure that that was a, a significant part of the attraction to music. When did you start playing? Uh, I didn't really start playing until I was in my tweens. Okay. Or, but I was, my mother always claimed that I would stand and cry and point at the stereo until she put a record on. And that like my, my relationship with records began further back than I can remember. And that makes sense to me. Uh, a music uh, is, is a, is a really pretty close approximation of, of the goal of meditation. I think if you're really in the moment, listening to something musically or playing something, I didn't realize that until much later, but even just listening to music, uh, puts you kind of squarely back in your body and, and in the moment, I think. So, uh, there's no doubt it was a, a, um, the most healthy ad- adaptation to whatever uh, whatever ailments I had or whatever. So I I I think um, it was a great consolation to discover that 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 took me out of myself and put me back in myself and in the moment. I still have the same reaction to it. I, I can be super tired or. Uh, feel pretty awful, and even I, even I still get migraines, and um, I don't tend to listen to music when I have migraines, but uh, I do tend to listen to music when I'm pretty depressed and when I'm really having anxiety issues, and and I, it can have a pretty profound uh, uh, effect of of uh, consolation. Again, what kind of music do you listen to in those times? It really doesn't matter. I, it really has. Uh, it even really terrible stuff. This is like it's very fast. It's fascinating to me. I I like listening to stuff I hate. I even, really? <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't want you to make enemies, but can you give me an example? Uh, 
No, because I don't even know the names of some of these things because uh, I don't get that involved in it. But, you know, if you flip around on cable late at night and there are these live music channels and some contemporary country or some uh, maybe some older 80s rock band on the casino circuit or something will come on TV and 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 it's pretty mesmerizing you know I but I, I found the same thing happens I'm I'm not tired anymore or I'm not I'm not uh, as stuck in my head when I can can I when I can focus all of my energy on this thing. Why do I hate this? What is this? Why is, what are they doing? <laughs> it's bothering They're me obviously, so much. obviously, you know, making something that they believe in. I don't know. I just like, it's really, I enjoy listening to stuff I hate more than stuff I love. I'm just coming to that conclusion right now. <laughs> I don't even want to listen to records I like anymore. Listening to this music he hates helps him get to this point of calm and control but so does playing music himself. It makes a lot of sense. You grow up with emotional issues and with migraines since the age of six, you are going to gravitate toward things that give you peace. And music kept on doing that right into college. I went to two different colleges. Two different colleges. For three years. Okay. Without accumulating a single credit. How? I think I should be given an honorary degree. (laughs) For that, I think that's really hard How to are, do. You failed every class, or yeah, what? Wow. I failed every class, or incom- was incomplete on every class. Why is that? Um, I would go to school, um, but I would not go to class. Um, I w- I didn't live on campus. SIU Edwardsville was close enough to live at home and drive there, and uh. I discovered the library pretty early on, and they had listening rooms at the library with tons of records that I'd never seen before, um, like like John Cage records and uh, experimental music that was they didn't have at Record Bar at the mall, <laughs> right. you know. So uh, they didn't write about it in in cool magazines that I discovered by then either. So that was my introduction to that. And I, I would just go there and I'd take a nap and these big, big, uh, gigantic pod like chairs and then listen to records and then go home. And my parents weren't particularly academic minded. So they would never ask, they never asked. I wasted some of their money, I think. Yeah. It wasn't, wasn't, but but in, but in hindsight, maybe I didn't. Maybe that was a good thing for me to be doing. You were getting an education. Sure. An education, job training, and that valuable peace of mind we just talked about. Anyway, music defeats academia fairly easily, and Jeff becomes a musician, playing in bands, touring, meeting up with the substances that that lifestyle offers. I had started drinking, so there was some maladaption with Diminishing returns, as is fairly common. Yeah. Were you drinking just for fun or were you trying to – for nerves or what? I think I wanted to feel normal uh, and it felt like I felt more normal when I drank. I'm I'm definitely an alcoholic and so that's like a 
you know, where have you been my whole life? But I was also very, very conflicted by that because I've come from a family of alcoholics and I have a lot of uh, anxiety about that going into it. Because uh, you thought that was in uh, your like future? I'm, like, yeah, I'm, I'm screwed, mm. you know. I always had a theory that my dad was... Uh, I didn't always have this theory. I actually kind of came across this theory in the last four or five years. And my my father, who just passed away last, uh, like, two months ago, mm-hmm. he drank his whole life and uh, was always kind of determined that he was an alcoholic by everybody. And, and as I got, went through treatment and got better, I started kind of questioning whether that was an accurate description uh, because he didn't have the typical diminishing returns and the, and the catastrophic consequences that come along with, you know, advancing through the stages of alcoholism. He kept a job. He was completely reliable. Um, he drank 12 beers a day, you know, at least, and a case on the weekends or, you know. So, um, but at some point he went through some uh, medical issues and he stopped drinking like at 81 years old and he started having panic attacks, hmm. but he didn't have any troubles not drinking. Hmm. He just, he just stopped drinking. He just stopped. Yeah. He just went to the hospital. The doctor said, you need to, you know, you can't drink for, for a while and he just stopped drinking. Wow. So how is that different than your experience with alcohol? Uh, I didn't go through treatment to stop drinking, so it wasn't a particularly uh, – so it was a similar experience. It it seemed fairly easy to stop. The reason I say I'm an alcoholic is it's the easiest easiest term and most accurate to me. Like it's just the same as saying I'm an addict. But you said that your father was – you think he might not have been an alcoholic, but you are. So what's the difference? Uh. My dad never graduated to other substances. Hmm. How long did that take you to graduate to those? Uh, you know, probably I didn't tend to intermingle them very much. Mm-hmm. So I quit drinking when I was like 22 years old. And then not long after that, I smoked pot for a while, which isn't, I still don't think it's that that serious of a of a drug Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh i think it should be taken seriously but i don't it's not in the same category Mm -hmm. um did i say scattergory i might have said category okay good (laughs) but um somewhere after pot stopped being something i could do because it it increased my anxiety i like could this is right right around the time that um uh, my first son, Spencer, was conceived, and I we found out I was going to be a father. It was really hard to let go of control enough to enjoy being high. And anxiety seemed to really, really take a big bite out of the enjoyment of that. Spencer Tweedy was born in 1995. Jeff and his wife, Sue Miller, have been together since 1991 and also have a younger son, Sam. 
But not long after that, on the road, I discovered pills. Uh, and those had the opposite effect. They had the, the, the illusion of being more in control for me. And I, I, I wasn't very comfortable with oblivion. I wasn't com ever really super comfortable with, even when I drank, I liked being the guy that could drink a lot and not seem drunk mm -hmm. at all. I, did, I, I was not the guy that got super, super drunk and everybody uh, had to take care of, you know. Were you trying to, you, you enjoyed that because you were able to show that you had control? I, I think I just didn't like losing control. Yeah. You know, but, um, but, but opioids were uh, like this warm feeling of well-being. And uh, I honestly, that was, that's probably the biggest drug of choice or most m closest to my, my heart <laughs> in terms of uh, what I thought was good for me. I honestly even thought it was good for me. Like, why is this, how is this any different from taking antidepressants or something? You know, like I had like some really screwed up logic that I'm fairly decent at debating. I actually convinced a psychiatrist to prescribe me opioids at one point. Wow, you're good. Yeah. Uh, it was like, well, he was bad, I think is probably more accurate. The combination of, I, felt, I think I felt like, this is what other people feel like. I have energy. Mm -hmm. I'm not panicking. Uh, I feel good and clear and warm and I can concentrate. And uh, uh, that was my, my, my reaction to the first, you know, uh, experiences with opioids. During all this, Wilco was rising to more and more success, which meant that Jeff was becoming a well, rock star. And that's complicated for someone with an ongoing goal of just being normal and calm. He's up against depression, anxiety, migraines, and a whole world of fans to whom he is not normal, but extraordinary. Opioids got him to that place of feeling normal, even though he had a hunch they were probably a bad idea. And I would come, it would come and go. I was never particularly great at I was good at quitting things. I wasn't good at staying quit for, you know, without help. And I was also not particularly great at making the connections or developing the, con the connections uh, and relationships with people that had access to illegal substances. <laughs> so I wasn't good at procuring them until... Uh, later. So there wasn't a sustained period. And, and some people look at things like, you know, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, oh, like it was obviously a period where he's doing a lot of pills. I think that the movie that is made during that time, I don't think I'm on pills at all during any of that. 2002's I Am Trying to Break Your Heart is a documentary about Wilco recording the album Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. It's also in large part about a conflict between guitarist Jay Bennett and Jeff and the rest of the band. I thought we were just saying, hey, that would be cool well, if the noise went right up to heavy metal drummer. Does that make sense? Well, whatever. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the problem is. I don't. I just want you to understand me, like understand why I was why thinking. Why is it so important? I don't have to understand you all the time. I was like, it's okay. I don't think we found it and, and we can do it. Okay. I, uh, 
seems to me like you're making a, a big deal out of not wanting to. <laughs> not wanting to. Okay. I've just been I, sitting I, I, here I, trying. I'm just saying. I'm listening, listening to you explain yourself. And do I mean, you understand it? Sure. I understand it. Okay, why couldn't you just say I, I understand what you're saying? I did. It's a fascinating film and also kind of hard to watch. Tweedy kicks Bennett out of the band over the course of the movie. It is the least glamorous rock and roll documentary you'll ever see. Jeff says he was doing more pills during the recording of A Ghost is Born. That's the follow-up album to Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. It won a Grammy for Best Alternative Album. So imagine that. You make an album while hitting the opioids, and your industry rewards you and hands you a trophy. That's not exactly a signal from the universe to stop using. Meanwhile, Jeff had gone to see someone about his depression. It did not go well. And um, honestly, the guy that I was seeing for the longest time uh, in terms of having a therapist, somebody to talk to, I think was uh, criminally negligent. How so? Uh, He would talk me out of taking antidepressants and tell me that the opioids were okay. He'd say that the antidepressants are capping your uh, your energy, your creative energy. Jesus. But the opioids, I mean, you enjoy them. You have a good time. Is this, um, are you talking about Dr. Feelgood from the Motley Crue songs? Was he yeah. your actual? No, he wasn't able to pres- prescribe anything. This guy was just, a, you know, like a social worker or, you know, like a lot of, that's this thing that scares me about the mental health profession is, uh, there's so many different uh, ways to just hang a shingle out and 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 start damaging people. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I think it's really really awful. I mean, I think they, that guy also had some sort of delusions of grandeur that he had a at that time in Chicago and and. Uh, I think he had some illusions that he was dealing with a celebrity client mm-hmm. and that he was eventually going to be asked to just come on the road. In fact, he asked my manager that, that actually told my manager that was the only way I was really going to be OK is if he started coming on the road with us. That's a red flag. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah like I'm I, like he but I mean, but that is so um, he was just smart enough to uh, recreate the dynamics in my life that were causing me my neurotic condition. What do you mean? How is he recreating it? Well, everybody has, uh, uh, I think everybody has these relationships in in their life that are dysfunctional and they contribute to uh, uh, their impediments to... Get to getting healthy, um, say a relationship with your mother or blah, 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 you know, whatever. Uh, for somebody in that position to see somebody vulnerable, identify what those dynamics are and then, then recreate them so that you are dependent upon them mm. is, is evil, hmm. I think. And that was, I th- to me, that's what, the, what, what happened. 
Huh, I hadn't thought of that before. People who have some damage to them may gravitate towards situations exactly like the ones that caused the damage in the first place. Do I do that? Do you do that? Let's take a quick break. The Hilarious World of Depression is supported by Health Partners and by MakeItOK.org. Make It OK is a campaign to start conversations and stop the stigma surrounding mental illness. Not just depression, but all kinds of mental illnesses. We enjoy having a lot of laughs on this show. It's a way of dealing with depression. It's a way of maybe demystifying the disease a little bit, making it not so scary. But let's not kid ourselves. It is a serious disease. The good news is that people can and do recover. They get help. That's why we need to make it okay to talk openly. Now, this can be an awkward conversation, of course, but makeitokay.org is full of information you can use, what to say, what not to say. And it has stories from people who tell you what it's really like to live with depression, anxiety, or other mental illnesses. Go to makeitokay.org. You can take the pledge right there to make it okay. Thank you so much to Health Partners and to Make It Okay for joining us in fighting stigma so we can all get better. Back with Jeff Tweedy of the band Wilco. When last we left Jeff, he was winning Grammys and doing opioids. And he was getting advice from a terrible therapist who was more of a weird groupie. Guy who wanted to go on tour with the band and who bought into this notion that mental illness makes you a better artist. What's really attractive uh, for non-creative people, for one, um, it's a good excuse for not being creative. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, well, I would be, but I'd be a mess. Right. <laughs> um, it's for people who don't understand where creativity comes from. Right. There's like a, well, people that have mythologized it and allowed it to become something, um, un, an unnatural magical condition as opposed to kind of what humans do. I think it's, it's more of a natural state than that. And I think that most people that I'm aware of uh, there's certainly something adaptive about immersing yourself in art and creating when you feel terrible. And there's something that's a healthy adaptation. But m- I believe it's much more that people create in spite of that, uh, those conditions, those types of struggles. Is that what you were doing when you were struggling with the, the pills creating in spite of what was going on? Uh, For sure. Yeah. And uh, I think I would have been so much more productive and been able to do so much more. If I mean, I'm not unhappy with the amount of productivity I was able to to achieve, but I know that my life today, I enjoy working so much more. I am... Uh, able to take on so many more other types of projects with other people that I really find gratifying. And, and uh, uh, I just, I recognize that the impulse to do what I do now was there then, but was, but a lot of energy was wasted um, being ill, mm-hmm. um, uh, being uh, at the corner trying to see if the guy from Walgreens would like, 
uh, steal some pills for me or, you know, <laughs> that's a you lot had, of the, You had a hookup at Walgreens? I did. Wow. Yeah. It was a fan. Oh, I yeah. thought he was doing you a big favor. Exactly. Yeah. When I started getting prescriptions for migraines, opioids for migraines, opioids for depression, you know, whatever I could convince legitimate scripts for, they would get doubled and tripled by that guy. And then eventually it would just be uh, Ziploc bags full of, of opioids. Once the Ziplocs are involved, it's mm-hmm. never a good sign. No. Um, how did you get cleaned up? I went to the hospital. I actually quit taking everything. The, my panic disorder worked in my favor in this regard. I realized that there was something terrible happening, and I started panicking every time, every time I put a pill in my mouth. I, I would panic that I'm going to die, and I'd try and make myself vomit. You know, like it, was, it was almost became impossible to take meds of any kind, and including antidepressants and, and, and things that might have been helping me to some degree. So I was able to do that. I was able to stop taking pills. And about five weeks after that, my brain chemistry uh, had crashed severely to the point where I was panicking 24 hours a day, just like walking around the park. I had lost 35 pounds. And this guy that was I was seeing uh, to uh, supposedly help me, he was like, therapist. He made this suggestion that he was, was going to have to go on the road with me since I was in this condition. And I had a moment of, you're just a fucking total asshole. You're just like, you're sickening. You know, it's just like this clear, clear vision of who this guy was. And I couldn't drive because I was panicking too much. And he, I, I made him take me home. And he sped off after I got out of the car. And then my, then my wife took me to the emergency room. And they um, <clears throat> did this two days in a row. Or like they didn't really, they wouldn't, uh, they wouldn't admit me. And then the second day I went there, they, um, they told me about a place in Chicago that has dual diagnosis. Um, treatment, which is they treat your mental health issues along with your addiction issues. And, and I, my reaction to that was, why has no one told me about this until just now? This is obviously, this makes so much sense. That's obviously what's been going on for fucking ever. And yes, please take me to there now. So it was the ER that referred to that. Yeah. Wow. Um, and then how long were you there? A month. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and then a little bit of time at a halfway house mm-hmm. uh, to kind of ease back into being a dad and a husband. Depression is strong. Addiction is strong. And together they're like tag team wrestlers, always jumping off the top rope and kicking you in the head. Jeff had been unable to fix himself, and this assistance from a bad therapist and a pharmacy employee with a penchant for mid-tempo American folk rock, those had only made things worse. But Jeff had reached the ER and got to good treatment, at last. And he reached for something healthy that made him feel normal and calm. I did have a guitar at some point towards the end of my stay, 
in the hospital. And I think it, um, I had one when I went to the halfway house and I was playing it in the laundry room and this older black gentleman came up to me and said, you know, you've got something. <laughs> and he said, uh, you should, uh, you just lack confidence. You should get out there and play for people and, and get some confidence because you got something. And it was the, absolutely the best review I've ever gotten in my life because <laughs> it was completely unsolicited. No, it was, it was as pure as it can get. And a pretty good prescription for what you needed to yeah, do next. Yeah, and it was like he had me, he had me pegged. I don't have a lot of confidence. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, and, and, and you know, I developed a, a relationship with the doctor who treated me in the hospital, mm-hmm. who I, I still see. You know, it still helps me maintain my, my, my meds and, and be a functioning human being. Jeff's been clean for many years now, working with a good doctor, therapy, meds, and writing songs. Music, which was the thing that brought him to that point of calm and control originally. I try and write until I feel something and I'm having a reaction to it as uh, the way anybody else would. Mm-hmm. It's like that it, it, It's hitting me like a song hits me. And I... Um, stay in touch with uh, that feeling by listening to lots and lots of other people's music and uh, and by working on so much stuff at once that I forget things that I've done and can kind of come back at a lot of things I'm working on and hear them uh, not remembering having done them. So like little scraps or? No, almost like, like finished songs even, you know, that I forgot that I that I have been working on for a year or something, you know. Huh. So you record them and then you just forget about them for a while? I come up here every day and I make stuff and and then I go on the road and I uh, get taken away from it and then I come back and where was I and listen and, and I'm like, oh, well, that stuff's pretty bad, but this is good, you know. <laughs> How many songs are in this building right now that the public hasn't heard then? Uh, I don't know. Uh, what would be an honest answer to that question? Is anybody listening? I would say at least 70. 70. Okay. So then long after you're gone, they'll release those periodically. So I tell my kids all the time, <laughs> yeah, like, it's your fucking legacy. Pay attention. <laughs> I asked Jeff about the bands he was in that had ended and bandmates that he's ended up firing and whether mental illness or substance abuse played a part in any of that. He zeroed in on the firing of Jay Bennett, who later died of an accidental overdose of the opioid fentanyl in 2009. I think that the that Jay Bennett leaving uh, Wilco was, uh, at least for me personally, was a first step towards getting healthier. Um, and, you know, and that's. I don't know if Jay, from what I know, sadly didn't wasn't able to get the help that he needed to to readjust his life to a more healthy, you know, lifestyle. But at the time he left, it was not a healthy thing, and I was trying, it, you know, to 
distance myself from things that I was becoming aware were not very good for me. And uh, we offered Jay uh, uh, help, you know, getting to getting to rehab, um, getting himself together. He didn't. He refused or declined uh, at that time, and he claimed to not have any problem. Mm like a lot of people do. And 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 the situation was untenable. The situation always gets cast as a as a, some sort of me versus him issue. It was not I mean obviously there was an issue between me and him, but it was a it was a band-wide um uh decision and a situation where the the health of the band was at stake, not just my relationship with Jay. Were you seeing in him some of the things that you needed to treat within yourself? Um, not necessarily. I mean, uh, I don't think that whatever was going on with Jay, I don't know if it would be a similar diagnosis or, you know, I don't really, I don't, I really don't know clearly. Uh, I'm not a professional, um, but but certainly the behavior that was was being exhibited was maladaptive and 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 destructive to himself. Besides making music and reflecting, Jeff Tweedy has also dipped his toe into comedy in the last few years. Here he is on the sketch comedy show Portlandia, playing a version of himself recording a song. Fred Armisen plays the producer. Press record. Like a crooked train, I'll tear the world apart. Forget about the crooked train, unless you've been on a crooked train, which would be problematic. The smoke alarm ran, ran out of batteries one time. Okay. It beeped for like a week and we couldn't find where it was coming from exactly. You could never predict when it was going to happen, but it was just like... It's like a very, very, very long silence just to where you think, okay, maybe it stopped. Right. And so you just relax a little bit and then... Beep. Oh, I like you. Mm-hmm. Press record. You've done comedy appearances as part of a new burgeoning comedy career. You're going to leave music behind. I hope so. Yeah. Because, God. It's really played out. Yeah, enough Nobody already. can really yeah. make a living. What led to those comedy appearances? What, what drew you to those or what made you say yes? I was asked. Um, I've gotten to be friendly with a fair amount of, uh, well, well, Fred Armisen used to be, uh, he used to work for my wife here in Chicago. And so I've known him forever. So that's the connection to Portlandia. He he's in the I'm trying to break your heart movie. He's he um so we've been friends for a long time. He asked me to do that thing. Mm -hmm. You know. Uh Parks and Rec, I don't know how that happened. Uh I guess they had an opening for a washed up Midwestern rock star. <laughs> and and the phone which I have no idea why they thought of me. <laughs> But I like it. I really, I, I enjoy, uh, I enjoy the environment 
that of the times I've been able to to be a part of uh, filming something. I've taken part in a uh, couple of other things that haven't come out yet, and um, I do like acting. Music's pretty performance based, you know. Yeah, I and getting up on stage, it's not like you're playing a character, but you are in character to some degree because you are you're having persona projected onto you no matter what you do and uh and i find that kind of fun to subvert Mm -hmm. and that's one of the things i think is unfair for uh i have comedian friends who will talk about me getting a lot of laughs at a show or something Mm -hmm. like a solo acoustic show and I'm like, it's really not fair because everybody's expecting me to be completely morbidly depressed. And if I say something that is has any humor to it at all, they overreact. Here's Jeff taking over the weather report on WGN-TV in Chicago. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you're just getting up. You're wanting to know what to wear today. Last yep. thing you want to see is a guy from Wilco doing the weather. Right. <laughs> a hairy guy also. A hairy guy. <laughs> but, um, you're probably thinking that some virus has swept through the WGN studios. <laughs> There's only a few of us left to man the controls. But uh, anyway, I don't know what else to say other yeah. than this is, uh, this is how it looks. You yeah. can read, yeah. I hope. Yeah. You can operate a TV. Yeah. It's all smoke and mirrors. A big crap yeah. shoot. Yeah, this is great. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Great job. You said it better than I ever could. What do you know now that you wish you knew a long time ago about mental health? Um, well, I, I think that the thing that really helps people when they finally get to this conclusion uh, after they've sorted through all of their responsibilities and all of their their own uh, uh, contributions to their situation. Uh, the conclusion that it's not my fault, I think, is something that is really, really helpful and would be really helpful to a lot of people to to get to that point where they can sort out the things that are their fault and the things that aren't their fault and, uh, the, and to realize that the underlying condition is not their fault. They didn't do that to themselves. When was that moment for you? Um, I'm still working on it. <laughs> I think it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's not something you can feel all the time, but I think it's some, some part I kind of need to keep reminding myself of. Final question. Is there any way we could see that monkey's guitar? Sure. Okay. Yeah, you can, you can have it. <laughs> Thank <No>. you. <laughs> I don't think that's true. This is the monkey's guitar. This is the monkey's oh, guitar. The logo is smaller than I thought. Yeah. It's subtle. It is subtle. <laughs> it's, it's there, too. It's, oh, it's, there it it's is. There on, it's there twice. This is a de- the most depressing guitar I have. <laughs> I think Jeff Tweedy's journey through depression and addiction and life really is about finding healthy paths to stay off harmful substances and keep making that magical music that's always felt so good since before he could remember. And I thought about that as he told us what all he was working on in that loft, Wilco songs. He has a side project called Simply Tweedy, a band with his son, drummer Spencer Tweedy. And he just got done recording some songs with Mavis Staples for her next album. Do you want to hear some new Mavis songs, he asked. And our whole crew just nodded emphatically. 
So we sat on an old couch with Jeff Tweedy, and we listened to Mavis Staples for a while. And he looked really happy. The Hilarious World of Depression is produced by American Public Media. Our producer is Chrissy Pease. Kate Moose is executive producer. Our recording engineer and technical director for this episode was Corey Schreppel. Thanks also to Nate Toby. Our social media empress is Christina Lopez. The Hilarious World of Depression theme song is called Pagliacci, and it was written and performed by our good friend Rhett Miller, who is a wonderful rock and roll musician with the band Old 97s. Much more about Rhett is at his website, rhettmiller.com. If you need help right away, confidential help is available at the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 1-800-273-8255. It's free, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 1-800-273-8255. The 8255 spells talk. The Hilarious World of Depression is supported by Health Partners and MakeItOK.org. Make It OK is a campaign to start conversations and stop the stigma around mental illness. MakeItOK.org has information to check out for yourself or for someone else. Starting a conversation about a subject like mental illness can be kind of awkward. It can be really awkward at times. Make It OK has tips, though. They can help you out. Tips on what to say, what not to say. There are stories of hope from people who have been there. You can take the pledge to Make It OK. It's all at MakeItOK.org. We're on Twitter at THW of D. That's THWOFD. You can write to us at THWOD, T H W O D, THWOD at AmericanPublicMedia.org. We're on the World Wide Web with a website at HilariousWorld.org. Over at our Facebook page, we have video from this interview, thanks to our videographer, Nate Ryan. Also on our Facebook page, links to information on dual diagnosis, if you want to find out more about that. Also, we have some great music there from Wilco, from the band Tweedy, and Jeff playing with Mavis Staples, which, oh my God, facebook.com slash thwad. Or, you know, as with all things that are on websites, just search for us and you'll find us because search engines are really good. On our next episode, Julie Klausner, the creator and star of the TV show Difficult People, she's learned how to gather up things that have gone wrong and use them to make other people laugh. Like, I always, like, think about how they say there's no color at the bottom of the sea because there's no light. Uh It's like you bring up these dark ideas and you speak about them and all of a sudden there's light on them and they're, you know, you're, you're using them to connect to people and not just to turn them against yourself. I'm John Moe. Bye now. Are you allowed to cuss? Yes. On podcasts? Yeah, go ahead. Oh, you that's want, cool. You want to throw in some extra now? Just Fuck. For... Yeah, I do. Okay. Thank Any you. others you want to? Mm, that's pretty much okay. all there is to say. <laughs>